on Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, an astonishing account of the assassination of America's most beloved and celebrated civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, appears in the book, uh, a new book called Chasing King's Killer. The author of that book is an award-winning author of several uh, bestsellers. Um, He joins me now by phone. James L. Swanson. James, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be on. Um, let's see. I, now, you have uh, written um, The 12-Day Chase for Lincoln's Killer, Chasing Lincoln's Killer, um, The President Has Been Shot. Uh, James, one might think now with this new book, Chasing King's Killer, that you have a uh, morbid fascination with assassination. <laughs> You're not the first person <laughs> to have said that to me. I, I but, would imagine. Let me explain. Please do. I, I'm, I'm, I've always been fascinated by moments of instantaneous change in American history. And so this book, Chasing King's Killer, is really the climax of a trilogy I've written about the deaths of Abraham Lincoln, John Kennedy, and Martin Luther King. Abraham, and Martin, so and John. Three great American heroes, and, and the deaths of all of them uh, caused such a change in American history. So that's really the focus of my interest. In, in doing these books, um, and, and with this new one in particular, is there... Did, did you come across new information, or is it a, uh, a, a more complete telling of the story? Well, uh, both. I try to write my books like crime thrillers. They're nonfiction, so they're all true. But I want the reader to feel like they're reading a thrilling, suspenseful novel about the events. So partly my books... Are, are in the telling of the tale, the way I pace it, the way I have a ticking clock narrative. But I've also discovered new things. And in fact, uh, in researching this Martin Luther King book, I discovered a hitherto unknown and secret J. Edgar Hoover letter. Really? And I found it in a book uh, that was written by Hoover, and it was autographed to William Sullivan, who was the head of domestic intelligence of the FBI. And the context was, it had been announced that King was going to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. And Hoover gave a press conference 
during which he called Martin Luther King the most notorious liar in America. And Hoover got some criticism, a lot of letters and phone calls. I would think. <laughs> yes. But then he wrote a letter to uh, William Sullivan, head of domestic intelligence, to thank him for his kind words. And the chilling line in the letter is, I share your view that Martin Luther King exposure is long overdue and he's about to get his just desserts. Now that letter was unpublished and unknown for 50 years. And I, I published that for the first time in, in my Chasing King Steeler book. Now, of course, I don't take that to mean that King was plotted against for murder by Jedgar Hoover. But Jedgar Hoover did keep King under surveillance. He hated King. He, he tried to blackmail King. He spied on King. And they tr the uh, agents at the FBI tried to get, to get King to commit suicide because they were, they were threatening to expose his personal life. And, and so that's, that's one of the discoveries I made in the book. Did you get any indication that there may have been uh, uh, some kind of stalking of King going on that the FBI became somewhat aware of that, that would have led to uh, the director making that kind of a comment? Well, yes. Uh, the FBI had kept King under surveillance for some time. In fact, it was Robert Kennedy, when he was attorney general, who signed the order authorizing J. Edgar Hoover to wiretap and surveil and tape record uh, King. And the FBI had also sent spies to infiltrate the civil rights movement uh, to watch what King was doing. I will say this, though. J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI had no idea that James Earl Ray was stalking King and was planning to murder him. It came as a total surprise because James, James Earl Ray was not part of the Klan. He, was, he had not been involved in prior racial violence. And he had been in prison until March 1967, one year before he killed King. And when he escaped from prison, and he had been sentenced to 20 years for a minor armed robbery of a grocery store, he didn't escape to hunt down King. He went to Mexico, Canada, California to create a new life. In, in fact, Ray was very much like many people in the 1960s who were lost, who wanted to find themselves, and went out for a new life in the age of Aquarius in California. And so Ray uh, went to ballroom dancing lessons. He took bartending lessons to become a professional bartender. He had plastic surgery. He read self-help books. He went to see gurus and psychologists to advise him how to become a better person and, and, and achieve more. And so he was doing nothing during that year to, to, track, James, to, to, to track Martin Luther King. Now, this book comes out, uh, James, as... Uh, uh, just just as we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of King's assassination. And I can't help wondering, because the 50th anniversary of John F. Kennedy's was just within the last, uh, I don't know, three, four years, um, did, did that book come out 
in conjunction with the 50th anniversary of that event as well? Yes, it did. And my my book, End of Days, on the Kennedy assassination came out in the fall of 2013 for the 50th anniversary. And and what and, about the Lincoln? And, was that uh, for the 150th? No, that was, that was not timed uh, for, for an anniversary. Uh, that book came out uh, as soon as I was able to finish it. But, but I, I certainly wanted my, my Martin Luther King book to come out prior to April 4th, uh, 2018, which will be the 50th anniversary of the death of Dr. King. In the, in the research for uh, all of these, uh, all three of these books, is there, did you come across anything that would give you even a little bit of doubt as to the, the recorded historical versions that, that uh, James Earl Ray assassinated Martin Luther King and John Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln and uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated John Kennedy? No, we certainly know it was John Wilkes Booth because he performed the murder of Abraham Lincoln. After he shot Lincoln, he jumped to the stage, and he didn't disguise himself. He didn't shave off his mustache. He didn't conceal his face. He raised the bloody dagger in the air that he used to stab Major Rathbone in the box after he shot Lincoln, and he cried out, the South is avenged, six Semper Tyrannus. What he was really saying it is, I, John Wilkes Booth, who has slain the tyrant, and, of course, it was Booth who was shot and killed in the burning bar in Virginia 12 days later. And with respect to James Earl Ray, the evidence is absolutely overwhelming, uh, significant physical evidence and eyewitness evidence that it was James Earl Ray who drove across the country in that Mustang, who stayed at motels stalking Dr. King for three weeks, who bought that rifle, who walked into the bathroom of that boarding house and aimed that rifle at Dr. King, and then who escaped. He left behind physical evidence, fingerprint evidence, other evidence. And so we do know it was James or Ray. And, of course, people have raised questions of conspiracy because it's our nature to want to believe conspiracy theorists. We can't believe that one man alone, let alone a loser like, like James or Ray, could kill a great man like Martin Luther King and change history. But there is no evidence but this. There's a possibility that one or two of James Earl Ray's brothers helped him in his plot and helped him escape. But, but beyond that, uh, there is no evidence. I think one, one origin of these conspiracies is, is, is the FBI's uh, uh, harassment of King has made some people believe that they're behind the plot. But, but there's no evidence of that. Fascinating. I, uh, I, I wish we had more time because this is a fascinating subject. Uh, but we are just about out of time, and I always give uh, our, uh, our guests an opportunity to share with uh, the listeners um, some information where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Do you have a website, James? Well, uh, the best way to reach me or find out things is, is uh, my, my Twitter account, which is uh, just Twitter at James L. Swanson. And I'm very active engaging readers. And, and if people want to ask me questions, I, I always respond. 
Well, thanks so much for uh, sharing these few minutes with us. I appreciate it very much. Oh, thanks for having me. Take care. James L. Swanson, author of Chasing King's Killer, The Hunt for Martin Luther King Jr.'s Assassin. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour has been on the show uh, several times, almost annually, I think, as uh, we approach uh, National School Choice Week. In fact, I think he's celebrating a 10th anniversary as its president this year. Andrew Campanella joins me by phone. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Andrew, let's talk about, uh, we're going to talk about two different things, actually, National School Choice Week and school choice in general. But let's talk first about what some of the choices that parents have for their kids in terms of schooling are. Absolutely. So school choice really refers to the process of parents choosing the best schools or learning environments for their kids, regardless of what options they end up selecting. So that means moms and dads are looking at traditional public schools within their district, traditional public schools in other districts, public charter schools, public magnet schools, private and faith-based schools, online schools, and homeschooling. The goal of School Choice Week is to let families explore all of the different options for their children's education, and we want families to know that it doesn't matter what type of school they end up choosing, just as long as they go through the process. Because School Choice is not about saying that one type of school is better than all the rest for all kids but that individual kids might benefit more from a learning environment that's different or unique from that which their neighbor attends. Because every child is unique, every child is different, and parents want to find the environment that best meets the needs of their kids. Andrew, you've been president of National uh, School Choice Week for, well, this is your 10th year. Um, have things been different the last couple of years because of the pandemic? Are parents <laughs> considering different options more than they did maybe three, four, five years ago? To a degree of magnitude that is really hard <laughs> to explain or comprehend. Yes, I mean, what we have seen is every single parent in this country, for the most part, being forced to be as engaged and involved as possible in their kids' education. And so it's great when parents get engaged and involved, but when you see every single parent getting engaged and involved at the same time, the level of interest in things like school choice just skyrockets. And the specific reasons that COVID has been a disruption to children's K-12 education are numerous. Um, parents are saying right now it's the second biggest reason that they're motivated to look for newer different schools. So not only are parents frustrated with a lot of uncertainty where you see schools closing and sometimes they're closing 11 p.m. the night before, but well, parents we're don't understand that. the process. We're, we're seeing that in the headlines right now because of the Omicron variant and, and a new surge all of a sudden where things were trying to get back to a normal or even a new normal, um, all of a sudden schools started closing down. And as you point out, Andrew, at the last minute, and prior to the pandemic, um, 
for a lot of parents, they didn't even think about it. They got a little flyer in the mail and knew it was time to sign their kids up for the local school district, and that's what they did. And then all of a sudden they started having to think about, you know, uh, remote learning and all of these other options that have come to the forefront during the pandemic. I would think that it would be a little overwhelming all of a sudden for parents to universally be considering options where it was just, you know, a few very interested parents before. Right. And last year, just to give you some perspective, 51% of U.S. parents said that they considered or are currently considering finding a new or different school for their kids. And one in six U.S. students switch schools. We also have, among the families who haven't looked around, 18% of those say they're going to in advance of the 2022-2023 school year. So our biggest message to these families who are looking or plan to look is to start the process now because, not to throw more numbers at you, 47% of the parents who looked at schools say they wish they had more time to do it because too many folks waited later in the year. And if you wait too long you'll find that there are fewer seats available in a lot of schools because their enrollment is closed. And also, you don't have as much time to ask the questions you want to visit schools, to go to school fairs, and evaluate all your options. So we want families to get started in January. And and is that why you hold the, the National School Choice Week um, in January, from January 23rd to January 29th this year? That is exactly right. We hold School Choice Week during the coldest part of the winter, not because we just want to give out our yellow fleece scarves to people and keep them warm, but because we know that if parents have six or seven months to look around at their options or they have a six or seven month lead time, they're going to be able to find um, the right choice for their kids. They're going to be able to go through this process. Not that it takes that long of a period of time to go through it, but you want to be able to look into your options, visit schools while there are still seats available. It also provides a really good feedback loop for schools. For example, if a school sees that a lot of families are interested in that school and that interest comes in January, February, or March, the school can hire more teachers and open up more seats so that more kids can attend. So it really is the right time, not just for families, but also for schools, to go through this process. Now, typically, there are a lot of events. Uh, in fact, if I remember correctly, thousands of events that go on during National School Choice Week. Um, have those events changed because of the pandemic? Is there a lot more online stuff and, and perhaps uh, virtual tours and Zoom meetings and so on? Well, this year, we have a mix of safe in-person events like school fairs where there's social distancing, and we also have online events and activities. And of course, in-school events and activities uh, where students and teachers who would be together anyway are celebrating. So I'm very grateful that in addition to the online events we had last year, we're able to return to safe in-person events this year because people really do want to be together again. And we're entering year three of the pandemic, and we do have to try our best to get back to normal. Well, just just to um, uh, 
add a note of optimism, the, uh, the, the Spanish flu uh, epidemic in uh, 1918 ran about three years. So, so if that's encouraging at all that this third year may be, you know, the, the final final part of all this. Absolutely. And, you know, I rarely say that I hope history repeats itself in certain <laughs> things, but in this case, that time frame would be just perfect. I mean, and when it comes to education, Tom, you know, kids need to be in-person learning uh, together, and we need to get back to normal because, and we got to do it safely, but they have to be able to get a sense of normalcy because if there is so much learning loss that comes out of this pandemic and kids are a year or two behind, it's going to be a really tough haul to get them back up to speed. And we need to focus on that in the next two years just as much as we focus on things like masks, vaccinations, and mitigation over the last year. Is is that, um, how big a challenge is that, getting students caught back up? Because... It, it has to have been a major interruption for the flow of learning. It's going to be really tough. It's going to be very tough, and here's why. Because a lot of us just assume that everybody has the best Internet access out there, but that's not the case for a lot of families in this country. And in a lot of rural areas, Internet access is really spotty. So when things went to remote learning and you had six kids in a household or five kids or even three kids, and they all had to be on a computer, and they all had to use Internet, and they all had to be on video, a lot of kids just dropped off because they didn't have the connectivity. So you add that which with the change in how learning was delivered to kids, and you combine that with the fact that a lot of this emergency remote learning was not of high quality, and it was forcing kids to sit in front of a computer screen for eight hours a day, which nobody who runs a full-time online school would tell you is good practice, and you add into that the uh, emotional stress and the anxiety of this pandemic, and you have kids who literally haven't learned enough or almost anything in far too long, and we are going to have to get kids back up to speed, and there are billions of dollars left unspent for schools from the COVID relief packages that Congress has passed. And I really hope that districts use that money for tutoring and one-on-one -on -one interventions to help students who have lost learning. Because if we just sweep this under the rug, we're going to see kids matriculating and graduating with fewer skills than kids had before the pandemic. And even then, we had challenges with achievement. So this has to be our next national priority, and we need to focus on it. Despite the changes faced by um, a, a sudden increase in online learning, um, has online learning become um, much more of an option than it ever was before because of what we've had to do to, to get through this pandemic? Yeah, great question, and it's really a tale of two cities. So, in the one city that you really don't want to be in is the emergency remote learning where the kids, as I was mentioning, have to sit in front of a computer screen and stare at a teacher or an educator for eight hours a day and somehow absorb the information while everybody has technical glitches and things like that. That has not worked. 
universally, people have not been happy with emergency remote learning. But there's a huge difference between that type of schooling, which has not worked, and full-time online schools, which have been developed with the idea that learning is done through technology remotely by qualified educators who are trained to deliver instruction online and produce good outcomes for kids. We have more than half of U.S. states now offer full-time, tuition-free online schools for families, which is incredible. We also are seeing an increase in technology-based tutoring, um, web programs that kids can access, and of course, the fact remains that kids today, and I say that, kids today have the ability <laughs> and the inspiration to use technology um, with greater skill than any other uh, group of generations before us. So we can harness new technology to uh, inspire learning, but we have to, in some ways, let the kids lead the way. Um, Andrew, with more parents looking online at options, has it made it a little easier this year and maybe last year to get your message out to parents about the choices they have? It has because more parents are looking into it, and we have invested in making sure that they can find our resources. And for those who are looking, they're all available at schoolchoiceweek.com. The resources that we provide, it's really the nation's largest portfolio of practical school search resources for families, walking you through the steps of how to choose a school for your child, prompting you with questions about what you might consider, and explaining the different school choice policies in each of the 50 states. And so we have seen more families access these resources, in fact, record numbers of families accessing these resources over the last 24 months. And I don't think it's really going to slow down because now that families realize that there are options and they want to exercise them, they're talking to other parents about it as well. And that is uh, generating consistent interest, which we like because it means that more kids will have the opportunity to go to schools that better meet their needs. Well, again, National School Choice Week runs January 23rd through January 29th. Um, What are you doing different this year? Well, one of the things we're doing differently is we're working with groups across the country to plan more school fairs because parents want to learn about their options, and we want families to be able to meet with school teachers and administrators and school leaders in a one-on-one setting, safe environment, so that they can learn about their options. So we're doing more of that. We've also developed even more resources online about things like tutoring. And we've translated all of the resources that we have into Spanish. So Spanish-speaking families can avail themselves of those resources without that language barrier. So a lot of new things this year. What I'm most excited about is the ability to reach even more moms and dads with information about the choices they have for their kids' education. Andrew, how are the the, uh, schools where you hold these fairs, how open are they to hosting and and promoting these different options? Or do you find that educational uh, professionals tend to to sort of stick to their own venue? 
Well, that's a good question. So in a lot of schools, they host open houses that focus on that particular school. And they celebrate their school, and they use School Choice Week as an opportunity to let students and teachers and school leaders really promote to their local communities what makes that school unique. But when it comes to schools working together to advance school choice, it's different in every state. Where I live in Florida, schools are competitive with each other in a really choice-friendly environment, but they also know how to effectively collaborate. So you'll have district schools referring kids to charter schools and charter schools referring kids to magnet schools because they know that choice here is prevalent and schools do better when kids are best served in environments that meet their needs. You see a lot more collaboration in states like Florida and Arizona and a willingness to embrace choice and let families know about their options. Compare that to Ohio where school districts are suing to stop a private school choice program. Uh, Totally, totally different um, set of environments. And it really um, breaks down by state lines. How does Michigan fare? I would say that Michigan fares relatively well when it comes to education options. There certainly could be more, but there are a lot of great traditional public schools. There's a thriving public charter school sector. Uh, There are uh, magnet schools. Families can choose schools in different districts on a case-by-case basis. Of course, there are private schools, and families can avail themselves of privately funded scholarships or financial aid. The state does have an excellent full-time online school, and there is the option to homeschool. So there, we just talked about six options that Michigan families have. Well, Andrew, it's always a pleasure to talk with you every year as we approach National School Choice uh, Week. Um, And as you know, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And you've mentioned the website a time or two, but perhaps you'd like to share it again. Sure. If families want to learn about the options available to them or understand what school choice is about, you can go to schoolchoiceweek.com. Well, Andrew, thanks so much, and uh, good luck with the upcoming event. And thanks again for for sharing this information with me and the listeners this morning. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Take care. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Georgia 
to my chest and I feel fine to rain and night in Georgia such a rainy night in Georgia Feel like it's raining all over the world I feel like it's raining all over the world Raining night in Georgia I feel like it's Raining all over the world 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! 
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons! For once, the walls of the Bickersons' apartment do not resound with the persistent snoring of husband John, more's the pity. There can be only one reason for this astounding phenomenon. John Bickerson is not home. Two o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson on the telephone with Sister Clara. Let's listen. What did you say, Blanche? I said I haven't heard from John since he left for work. You'd think he'd telephone me or something. Well, maybe he tried to call. You've had the phone tied up for over an hour, Blanche. You've called me three times. He's never done this before. I think he wants to upset me. He gets so angry every time I spend a dollar. He says I'm the biggest spendthrift in California. Am I, Clara? I don't think so. Well, John does. And you know how careful I am about money. Yes, well, I have to give the baby his bottle. You do? What time is it there in New York? It's almost 5.30 in the morning. Georgie gets a bottle every two hours now. He's four weeks old. He isn't gaining much, though. Well, what does he weigh? 61 pounds. I don't like the doctor we have now. He thinks George is too heavy. Well, I think he's the cutest little thing I ever saw. Oh, did John's shoes fit him all right? Well, they pinch a little in the toes. Oh, well, you can get them fixed. Oh, I think John's here. Goodbye, Clara. John! I can't find the blasted light switch. Oh, I'm so glad you're home, sweetheart. I'm in here. Huh? Never mind the lights. Come to bed, darling. Oh, I must have the wrong apartment. Uh, Excuse me, madam. John, come back here. Oh, hello. Where have you been? Working. Let me get undressed. I'm exhausted. Why didn't you call? Don't throw your good coat on the floor. John! You can sweep it up in the morning. No call. No message. No nothing. Why didn't you call? Didn't have a nickel. You did, too. You had a quarter in your pocket this morning. Who did you take to dinner tonight? The whole chorus from Earl Carroll's That's Me Boy, Diamond Jim Bickerson. Don't be so funny. Oh, I'm not funny. I'm exhausted. I bet you never even thought of calling me. Other men call their wives. If Mel Shaw leaves the house for even five minutes, he calls Louise. Calls her what? That lot you care about me. I've been sitting here worrying myself into a stew. What did you eat? Stew. John Bickerson, let me look at you. Are you sure you've been in the office till now? Well, where do you think I've been? I don't know. You didn't pass a cocktail bar on your way home, did you? I never pass a cocktail bar. That's what I thought. You had a drink. I did not. You had more than one. I didn't have any. Then why are you trying to take your pants off over your head? What pants? This is the sweater you made for me out of your old slacks. I'm the only man in town with a V-neck seat. Stop complaining. It keeps you warm. Put out the lights, Blanche. I can't hold my eyes open. John, you're not going to sleep in that horrible old sheepskin vest. Well, I'm cold. Take it off. It looks hideous. Nobody sees it. Now you just get up and put on some pajamas. I hate pajamas. They strangle me. 
Well, you can't wear that thing. Can too. What if there's a fire? I won't go. Good night, Blanche. You just get out of that bed and hang up your clothes. Don't leave them for me. Blanche, I'm sleepy. I'm always crawling under the dresser and picking up your collar buttons. I pick up your ties, and I pick up your handkerchiefs. What do you think I am, a vacuum cleaner? No, Blanche, a vacuum cleaner can be turned off. Look, Blanche, do me a favor, will ya? I worked 18 hours today. Just let me close my eyes for a couple of hours, will ya? I'm afraid. The minute you fall asleep, you'll start snoring. No, I won't snore. I never snore. How can you say that? You've never missed a single night since the second day we were married. You snore on Monday, you snore on Tuesday, on Wednesday you snore, on Thursday you snore, so what'll you do tonight? Oh, for the love of... (sighs) Nobody would believe it. I'm married to a cellar pump. John, John, you promised you wouldn't snore. And the minute you close your eyes, you start it. John! Blanche, what do you want from me? I won't stand for it. Go sleep in the guest room. We haven't got a guest room. If you were a good husband, you'd see that we had two guest rooms. You used to have plenty of ambition before we were married. Whatever mm. happened to your get-up-and-go? He got up and went. I might have known you like you are. Selfish, inconsiderate, thoughtless. You didn't even send me a Valentine card. St. Valentine's Day isn't until tomorrow. It's still tonight. Tonight was yesterday. Today is tomorrow. What? And I know you didn't send a card because you didn't send me one last year. Well, I forgot last year. You always forget. You forgot my birthday. You, I bet you don't even know when you married me, do you? No, I don't. John Bickerson, you don't know when you married me? When? Oh, I thought you said why. I suppose you think you're a great catch. I could have married a half dozen of the wealthiest men in town. No, I had to fall for your smooth talk. You kept calling me your buried treasure, didn't you? Didn't I what? Didn't you always call me your buried treasure? Maybe I did. Well, what have you got to say now? I'm sorry I dug you up. Good night, Blanche. Sorry you dug me up? There wasn't another girl in our crowd who would ever have given you a second look. Oh, I don't know about that. Most of those dames thought I had what it takes. Well, maybe you had it. But who took it? And what did I get out of this marriage? Jewels? No. Clothes? No. Money? No. What did I get? No. A one-room apartment and a leaky icebox. A leaky icebox? Every night my pillow was wet from my tears. Put a pan under it. You're not listening to me. You don't care what happens. I wish I'd never been born. Oh, Blanche, what's the matter with you? Why don't you go to sleep? How can I sleep? How can I sleep when I know you don't love me? Who said I don't love you? Well, you never tell me you do. I tell you a thousand times a day, I offered to pay a man $50 for a six-inch tattoo that says, John loves Blanche. Why did you object? Because it would show when I wore my evening gown. Well, I was going to let him do it on me, too. Anything to put a stop to that same question night after night after night. If you'd only say it once of your own accord, I'd never ask you. Okay, I love you. Do you love me only? Yes. 
When I'm away from you? Yes. Well, say it. I love you only when you're away from me. <laughs> yes, you do. Maybe that's why you stayed out, cavorting, until two o'clock this morning. I wasn't cavorting, I was working. What for? Because I get paid for overtime and we need the money. I have to make a payment on my car next week, $84. Where will you get that? Oh, I got it. It's in the desk drawer. No, it isn't. It is, too. I looked yesterday. You didn't look today. Oh, Blanche. Well, there's only $60 in that drawer, John. What happened to the other $24? Don't look at me. Listen, Blanche, there are only two people who have a key to that drawer, you and I. And $24 is missing. Well, let's each put back $12 and say no more about it. I knew it. I knew it. What did you blow it on? Well, I had to pay the phone bill. I made a few long-distance calls. Long-distance calls? Who did you call for $24? My sister, Clara. I was worried. She had a tooth pulled. How could you squander my money like that? I deny myself everything. Do I even buy toothpaste? No. I've been brushing my teeth with a whisk broom. I stick tinfoil in my cavities to save on dentist bills. I've been wearing an upper plate that belongs to my cousin. And she calls New York every five minutes. Don't make such a fuss. Claire is my only sister, and I have a perfect right to call her. Anyway, Barney's in the hospital. Who's Barney? Clara's husband, when he was out looking for a job, he tripped over a bar rail and two cases of bourbon fell on his head. Well, it's the first time the drinks were ever on him. How can you say that? Barney's not cheap. He takes good care of Clara. She has a lovely home, and they've got money for everything. Oh, sure, money for everything. Don't sneer. Last week, Clara had her tonsils taken out, and Venetian blinds put in. With a mouth like hers, they could do it. If that bum Barney isn't working, where do they get the dough? Accident insurance. He's collected a fortune on accident insurance. Every time Clara has a baby, he jumps off the roof. What? He doesn't hurt himself too bad, just enough to collect the insurance. You haven't got any, have you, John? No, I don't want to talk about it. I want to sleep. But suppose something happens to you. What if you have an accident and you can't work? We'll starve. We're starving now. That's too bad. It's easy for you to talk like that. If anything happened, I'd be left helpless and destitute. Why don't you get some accident insurance, John? I'll get some next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you get it now? What? Go on. Get up. Get some accident insurance. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's almost 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, people have accidents all hours of the night. I'm not going to have any accidents tonight. How do you know? Blanche, why don't you let me sleep? Well, just promise me you'll get some accident insurance. Why? Because it's a wonderful protection. Clara told me two weeks ago a man broke his hip and he got $5,000. Last week, Barney fractured his skull and got $10,000. Well, what about it? Next week, you may be the lucky one. Good night, Blanche. Good night, John. Tom Sumner, 
Program.com. From the Tom Sunday Show. Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.